So I've gotten this question several times this week. Why address the topic of singleness in the middle of summer? There are people traveling, people on vacation, and most of all, our college students, some 60 to 70 college students that we average on a Sunday morning during the school year, they're not here. Why don't you wait until they get back to talk about singleness? And that question is a part of the problem because we don't understand who all is single among us. And when we think about this topic, we think about college age, right out of college, folks who have yet to get married and want to get married and are waiting to get married, and we kind of target that group of people. And yet there are many others in our congregation who are single. And most of all, we are family, married, unmarried, and too often we forget this. And too often in our ministries and even in our sermon illustrations, we forget who all is present, single, unmarried, married, divorced, widowed. We, we forget that there are all kinds of people in all kinds of circumstances when it comes to marriage before us. And just to be frank, it's extremely unkind at times to think that way about singleness. And we leave out whole groups of people in our congregation who are gifted in serving the Lord. And so hopefully today, as a part of this sermon, I hope there will be some repentance here today. I hope even in my own heart and life there will be kind of a understanding and focus on the whole body of Christ and understanding what singleness is and how this contingency that we have among us, we, we have so many men and women who are unmarried who serve this church so faithfully and give their lives over to what happens here. And we want to honor them today. And we want to learn how to serve them better in the days ahead. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul addresses the issue of singleness. And he does so in a highly sexualized culture. To Corinthianize was actually a verb used for promiscuity, for sexual immorality. That was to Corinthianize. That was the verb for sexual immorality. And Paul is writing to a church that is eaten up with sexual immorality. Men in the church who are visiting the temple of the goddess of love and having sex with prostitutes and claiming that it is an act of spirituality, claiming that it is an act of worship. Even in the church in Corinth, there is a man who is sleeping with his stepmom. And you would think the church would be dealing with these things, calling these men to repentance. And yet that's not at all what was going on. The church of Corinth was proud of those things. They were saying, look how merciful we are. Look how gracious we are. Look, look how accommodating to the culture we are. 
And Paul addresses the issue of sexual immorality in this section of Scripture and in two his letters to the Corinthians in the most drastic ways, stinging rebukes. You're, you're idiots if you think that's godly. You are morons. Do I need to come to you with my shepherd's rod? You, you, you are fools for allowing such behavior in the context of your church. He doesn't cater to the culture. He doesn't say, pastor, just expect immorality. Just expect it. Be okay with it. No, he, dress, he confronts it, all sexual immorality, as he writes these letters to the Corinthians, and he does so with an edge. He does so with the sword of the word of God to confront, to rebuke, to uncover sin. Paul says, all sex outside of marriage is immorality. And that, the, the sign of the covenant, which is sex, the one flesh act, is to only be experienced in the context of the one flesh covenant, only. And Paul will say to the Corinthians, when you engage in sex outside of marriage, because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, when you engage in sex outside of marriage, you are literally taking Jesus Christ and joining him to a harlot. That's what you're doing. And so he's not saying, let's just tolerate it. He's saying, repent of it. Repent and turn to Christ. And one of the things he says to the Corinthians is, you need to get married, some of you. Some of you, in such a sexualized culture, need to be married because you can't resist the temptation. He says that in verses 1 through 6. But when we get to verse 7, he says there's also another option that I want to call some of you to. If you're not going to get married, there's another option. Notice verse 7 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. He says, some of you need to get married. Marriage is good. But then verse 7, even in this highly sexualized culture, notice what Paul says. I wish that all were as myself. What's he referring to here? Paul isn't married. Paul is single. And his personal preference here is, even as I call you to be married, I wish all of you were like me. I wish all of you could serve Jesus the way that I serve Jesus as this single man on mission. But notice he says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now here he's referring to the gift of marriage, but he's also referring to the gift of singleness. And when Paul refers to the gift of singleness, he's He's referring to the gift of celibacy here. And there's two forms of celibacy. One would be supernatural power where that the desires aren't there, sexual desires aren't there. Another form that we may talk about when we talk about celibacy is the power to have self-control over the desires. The desires are there but you're able to walk in the spirit and you're able to walk in purity for the sake of the gospel. And I think that's what Paul's referring to when he refers to his gift of celibacy. 
Here is a man who is not married, and he says, I wish all of you were as myself, single and given over to gospel mission. But notice he says here, to be married is a gift, but also to be single is a gift. And then notice verse 8. He said, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. So he comes back. If I wasn't clear, unmarried and widows, probably referring to the women here when he refers to unmarried, because then he says the widows, those who are not married, those whose spouse has deceased, or those who have yet to be married, he said it would be good for them to remain single, beneficial, profitable, well with their soul if they remained single. But notice here, again, he comes back in, he says marriage is a gift, but I also want to be very, very clear, to be as I am is a gift. To be single is a gift, given over to the mission of the gospel. Notice verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should be married. Exercise, training, this ongoing discipline of resisting the temptations for sexual immorality. If you cannot exercise self-control, you should be married, for it is better to be married than to burn with passion. And the word burn here is it's contrasted with self-control, and it means to be overwhelmed and destroyed by the sexual passion. And he says it's good to pursue the context in which these desires are to be experienced in marriage if you do not have self-control over them. And so my first point today is some, not all, of our single friends here today need to get married. You need to get married. You need to think about marriage. Now, I know when I say that in a very generalized way, there are hundreds, hundreds of circumstances that hear that. And so I'm not addressing all of them at once. There's a lot of discipleship. There's a lot of things you need to think through and pray through. So some of you need to get married. In our nation right now, 32 is the new average age of someone's first marriage. 32. Now I'll let you do the math on that. Physically, biologically, you are ready and have the desire to be married 19 years earlier. So when Paul's talking about self-control, we're looking at a culture of people and saying, you need to have self-control for 19 years. Now, this is why 70% of Christians engage in premarital sex. Self-control. It's virtually impossible. Virtually impossible. So how does this happen? Well, we live in a cultural crisis of extended adolescence among men. Marriage is to be the step toward adulthood, normally. It is the normative step toward adulthood. The pattern is you leave your parents' home and you go build your own family. However, in our culture, we have this extended adolescence where we delay that responsibility 
We even talk about it as something you just push and you push away. Live it up. Go to college. Experience life. We stretch that out in this extended adolescence, but we do so in a very, remember, sexualized culture. And so we don't expect in this extended adolescence the pleasures of married marriage to be delayed. We even tell people in our culture that if you don't experience sexual pleasure, you're missing out on life. But we want to extend it. We want to push it out. And it is a bomb for sexual immorality even in the church. It's impossible virtually. And it creates a society of very self-centered men where you say, you don't have to have the responsibility of marriage, but you can have the pleasures of marriage. And what happens for women in our culture is they're not cared for by mature men. They are used by sexualized little boys. And they're not protected because we don't call our men to embrace the responsibility of marriage and care for them. No, delay it. Be as selfish as you want to be. Do nothing. Live in our basement. Do nothing. Go have fun. You got the rest of your life to do responsible things. And the women in our culture are abused and used because we're teaching men to be immature little boys. And here's the question I get that breaks my heart. Pastor, you, you say I should get married, but there are no men in the church. Why is that? Let me explain. While we're telling men you don't have to embrace the responsibility, females who are way more mature, they step from their parents' home and they embrace the adulthood responsibilities of what it means to grow up on their own. And because they're mature and because they begin to think about life and their purpose and who they're going to be and what they're going to do and how they're going to serve Jesus, they end up going to church while the little boys are still living it up or doing nothing. And they're in the church and there are no men. There are no men. Very few men, I should say. I don't want to be disrespectful to the ones that are here. And this is the reason we have many women who deserve to be married but are not. And it has more to do with our culture than anything that they have done wrong. And so what's our responsibility? Men, grow up. Dads, teach your boys to become men. Give them responsibilities. Don't take it away from them. They're not going to break. Life is hard. Life is difficult. They need to do hard things. They need to be inconvenienced, whether you're engaged in sports, school, whatever, working a garden, working in a hay field. 
Teach them to be men and embrace hard things. But that's the situation that we're in, and it's heartbreaking, and the church has got to rise up and do a better job. But before we move on to the next point, I do want you to ask the question, men, women, here today who are single, is there a biblical reason why you are delaying marriage? Why you're delaying thoughts about marriage? What is it? And this is before God. This isn't judgment or condemnation. I don't know your situation and nobody else here does. Not everybody does. But you got to ask that question. And financially, what season in life? Are you just delaying it for selfish reasons? And then the next question is, are you able to endure temptation? Are you able to endure temptation? We, we, we don't think that's a main issue here. Sexual immorality is an abomination of the gospel, and you will not move away from it once it's committed. It will be, it will be imprinted in your life and in your heart for the rest of your life. Now, there's repentance, there's joy in the gospel, but it's not acceptable And so you've got to ask the question, and if you've been dating for way too long, you're throwing gasoline on the sparks, can you resist the temptation? We don't just assume that's going to happen in our church, in our culture. But what is keeping you from marriage? And I want to encourage you, get counsel and discipleship. You don't go out and just do that haphazardly. You don't just run out and say, I'm going to get married. Download the app and find, that's not how that works here. You need counsel. You need someone to walk you toward maturity. You need a mentor. And then some of you, when I say that, you're single because your husband or wife died. See, remember, there's more than just the young singles or the singles who have never been married. So maybe you need to ask that question. How do I think about that? How does that work? Some of you are divorced and you need to think, can I or should I biblically get married again? But we've got to ask that question. So what's the other option here? Paul's already hit at it. He said singleness is a gift. And then when we get down to verse 32, he kind of dives right into it and says, let me explain something. What am I talking about? How How could you remain single in such a sexualized culture? like Corinth and that of our day. Verse 32 says, I want you to be free from anxieties, whether you're going to be married or single or unmarried. Either way, I want you to be free from the anxieties of singleness. Worried, why am I single? Am I single? What am I going to do with my singleness? Am I married? What am I supposed to do with marriage? And he says, the unmarried is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. He has one focus, and that is the Lord. And so he says, I want you to be free from the worried about being unmarried and be given over to the worries of the Lord, how to please the Lord. It's a play on words here. And then verse 32, he says, the unmarried man, he is anxious about worldly things. And this means temporal things, earthly things, family matters, the immediate. He says, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. Now, we know marriage displays the gospel. Family displays the gospel. He's not saying it's a bad thing. 
He's just saying when you, before the Lord, you, you got to please the Lord and you got to figure out how to do that with a wife and kids and a family. You got to figure those things out. And your anxieties and your worries are divided here. Then he says, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. The woman, betrothal, was initial stage of the marriage covenant. And then the unmarried woman, both have to be given over to purity in in their body, in their spirit before marriage, or if they're unmarried. And then he says, but the married woman is anxious about, again, worldly things, temporal things, how to please her husband, how to be a helper in the home on mission with her husband. But notice what he says, verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So even when Paul says, some of you need to get married because you can't resist temptation, I don't want to worry you with that if that's not your gift, if that's not your season, if that's not your circumstance. If you're unmarried, your greatest worry is how you're going to serve the Lord as single, unmarried. So I'm not, I don't want to put burden on you. I want both groups to be free to what? Serve the Lord, to, to work out the design for marriage and family, and to work out this season in your life where you may be single. And so how might God use a single person in the church? Well, Paul is, a, is the example of this. Think about all the apostle Paul did in his devotion singly to the Lord. He established the church in four major provinces of the Roman Empire, Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, Asia. At one time in Paul's life, he covered an area of 25 million people, and he would write and say, there is no longer any need to preach the gospel here, and he would move on. He impacted 50 cities preaching and planting church churches. He logged more than 15,500 miles in travel, 6,800 sailing. He walked 8,700 miles, 8,700 miles walking for the sake of the gospel. He spent 663 days on the road over 25 years, and he wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. And so that's why he would say, If everybody can do that, that would be amazing. Understand, that's not what everybody's called to. But singleness is a gift. It is a glory for the sake of the gospel. You can relentlessly serve Jesus and give your life over to Jesus to do amazing things as someone who is single. And so in context, we see singleness breaks the pattern of marriage. Through this supernatural gift of celibacy or even single seasons in life that last, we don't know how long sometimes they're going to last, various lengths, but both should be viewed as gifts. And if you're lost in the clutter, here it is. If you're single, that is a gift in your life right now to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say over and over today, so many of you do that here so many of you give yourself over to the church here. And we're so, we would not be the church that we are without you. 
And so be free from the stress of thinking, I'm not married. When am I going to get married? How's this going to work out? Serve the Lord. If you're not fighting any sinful delay of getting married, be devoted to the Lord now. And so how do you do that? Well, number one, you have to find your identity solely in Christ. I want to say this very clearly. You're not less a person or a Christian without marriage or children. You are not. And I apologize and repent of ways I may have communicated that. Just sermon illustrations or how you, how you talk sometimes. And I'm sorry and I apologize. I repent of that. Jesus died for your sins. He lived a perfect life for you. He has given you his inheritance, his status. You have every right, Jesus does, to the kingdom. You are loved and you are adored and you are treasured completely. I want you to hear that. Not last Christian. And let me say this, marriage is not the ultimate goal or finally final destiny for any of us. It's not. Jesus is. The kingdom is. And you got a head start. The name, the family, the service, ultimately, it's all about Christ. It's all about his name. It's all about his family. It's all about his service. Marriage and family are temporary realities that point to the ultimate. And we worship a man. We worship him. A Middle Eastern single man who we say is perfect, not lacking anything. So if you're single, find your identity in Christ and believe that. And then your mission as someone who is single is not lesser. Let's Let's forbid this word when we talk about folks who are single, waiting. Let's don't use it around here. What you waiting for? Marriage? What if you never get married? Not waiting for nothing. Serve the Lord now. You're not in some parenthesis where you're not useful for the kingdom. Serve the Lord now. Give yourself over now. Leverage the worries and anxieties and maybe fixation on marriage to serve the Lord now. And this is not a lesser mission. It's not a lesser mission. It's not a lesser role. It is the role. It is the mission. And and I realize that I've said this sometimes. The freedom you have and the finances you have, give that over to Jesus, you have more free time than the rest of us. It's not always true, by the way. Most of the single folks I know here are extremely busy. And they, not all of them have a lot of money. And so we act like there's these rich single folks who are wasting their time. It's not the case. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord like the rest of us. And then stay pure. Your greatest gospel witness in this culture will be your purity. I know we get uncomfortable with that. 
We get uncomfortable with it because we've just accepted it. We just accepted it. But your greatest witness in this culture is going to be your purity as a single person. With Tinder hookups, porn addiction, same-sex attraction, and cohabitation, you're going to be the one who says, no, Jesus is better than all of those things. And the folks who are engaged in sexual immorality that live around, they're going to look at you and say, what in the world? Jesus is better. That's sin. God's designed me for something better than that. And so stay pure, fight, confess, repent, pursue accountability. And by the way, sexual purity is required no matter your age of singleness. Some of y'all think you get to an age in your singleness and you're free from that. That's not true. Stay pure to the end. Because you teach us about Jesus when you resist temptation to sacrificially serve his bride. That's what he did. Teach us about Jesus and your purity. And find family in your church family. Well, I have a lot for the church, and I'll get to it quick. But I do want to say this to those who aren't married. We are your family. We want to be your family. I want to tell you, pursue friendships in the context of the church. Don't isolate. Don't isolate. It's hard. It's difficult at times. Dive in. Pursue friendships in the context of the church. Allow us to be your brothers and sisters, those of us who are married, and hold us accountable to our marriage vows, especially if you attend our weddings. You're not spectators. You're witnesses. All right. How do we as a church serve singles better? Breathe. Let's take a breath. I needed a breath. Well, first of all, singleness is not their problem that God sent us into their life to fix. Some of them have no problem with it. Stop trying to make it a problem. It's not a problem. So we think single folks around here, they go, and ho- they go home at night to a dark apartment and they sit down and they watch friends all night. <laughs> what a lonely life. That's not, how, that's not how they live. So quit acting like they got a problem that you got to fix. Stop it. Honor them as co-laborers. Encourage their gifts in the Lord. And single folks, people who are unmarried, not married at this season in our life, they need folks who are married to display the gospel in our marriage by the way we talk and the way we act around our spouses. One of the things that breaks my heart is when someone who's not married comes up to me and says, I really want to be married, but the married folks I'm around don't seem to like each other. That's sad. You have to display the gospel in a way that draws people to marriage. And then the other thing is, I really want the blessing of kids, but the people around here, maybe not around here, but families that I know, they don't seem to like their kids. How do you know? Well, they call me to babysit all the time. Don't do that anymore either. They need you to love your kids and see them as a blessing and a gift. 
for the sake of the gospel. Number two, understand that there are a variety of categories of singleness and they're not all the same and we got to stop talking like that. Singles aren't just the people in your church who want to be married but can't. Some of them have the gift of celibacy. Some, some of them have made decisions to stay single for the sake of the gospel. Some of them are divorced, unbiblical divorce, and they don't think they should be married again. Some of them have spouses that have died, and they say, I don't ever want to be married again because I love my first marriage so much. And so quit acting like they're all this one blob of people. They're not. There's unique circumstances instead of one category. And what's hard about being single? I've asked this question for three weeks now. And there is worry. There is loneliness. By the way, single moms have certain struggles that we got to do a better job of stepping in and helping with. We, we need to be more sensitive to that around here. There's insecurity, there are expectations, but here's what they, 98% of folks who are unmarried have said to me, the struggle that I have is the same struggle you have, and it is finding my identity in Christ no matter what. That's it. It's the same struggle. So quit acting like it's harder for them than it is you who's married. Whether you're married, whether you have a good marriage, bad marriage, good job, bad job, good life, bad life, guess what? Life is hard. It's hard if you're single, if you're unmarried, if you're married. It's hard. Life is hard. And everybody here is struggling to find identity and joy in the gospel. They're not on some other planet trying to figure out some new problem that you don't have. It's the same problem. And so understand that. And then we have to honor folks who are not married in the way that we speak to them. And I'm almost done. And I'll say this very pointedly. Coarse jesting is sin. Talking about sexual intimacy around singles is wrong and it's unkind. This guy's stop. It's not funny. It's... Coarse jesting, Paul says, is sin. End of story. Shouldn't be doing it anyway. Well, you have to be careful, even more so, about causing your brothers and sisters who are not married. And I'm not saying to cause them to sin, just to cause them to feel really awkward and weird. And that's unkind and that's rude. Stop saying to them, hey, I need a babysitter. Stop it. Let them volunteer to keep your kids. Because some of them don't like kids. Don't like your kids anymore. You dumped them off on them so many times. Quit assuming just because they're not married, they're going to keep your kids. Let them volunteer to do that. Stop saying, hey, I need to be single this weekend. That's insulting. Hey, you want to hang out? I need to be single. Single folks turn to them and say, obviously, you can't handle it. That's sad. That's wrong. And some of them are so godly, they're not going to say anything to you, but stop saying that. Stop looking at them and saying, why aren't you married yet? Stop it. I keep saying that a lot. Stop it. It's great counseling. 
And don't say this, just wait, you're going to make a great spouse. You're going to make a great mom, dad. Don't say that anymore. You don't know their circumstance. If you do, it's still, you don't know, you're not God. And stop saying, unless it is the very best of the best, I mean, top gun, single category. Stop saying, I got somebody I need you to meet. Because a lot of times it's your cousin who's a loser who's not married. And you just want them to get married too. Stop doing that. I mean, it's okay at times. But make sure it's the best of the best or don't get involved. And let me close. Those who are single and unmarried... You are a beautiful display of the gospel here. We, I love you. Some of you are some of my closest friends and have been for so many years. And I'm so thankful. I wouldn't be the pastor that I am without you. We would not be the church that we are without you. And I do want to repent of just sort of broad-stroking what it means to be single here. We gotta do a better job. We gotta be more gospel in these things. We gotta be a better family.